Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today's previously scheduled Valentine's Day episode has been postponed. Our guest of honor, my wife Adrian, is feeling under the weather. As a substitute Valentine, I've chosen the Cable Car Case from Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Candy Matson was a rarity in old-time radio, a detective series starring a female private eye. The show is created by radio actor, writer, and producer Monty Matson. Masters, who originally conceived the program as a straightforward detective series starring himself in the lead role. It was Monty's mother-in-law who suggested he make the private eye a woman. Her input didn't stop there. She also told her son-in-law who should play the part, her daughter and Monty's wife, Natalie Masters. Monty knew a good idea when he heard it, especially when he heard it from his mother-in-law. Candy Matson, Yukon 28209, premiered June 30th, 1949 on NBC affiliate KNBC in San Francisco. Monty and Natalie Masters had been entertaining radio audiences in the Bay Area for almost 15 years, including their 1947 sitcom, The Mad Masters. According to the website Digital Deli, the short-lived situation comedy found Monty Masters portraying a daydreaming shoe clerk whose fantasies transported him to all manner of historic settings. Natalie, for her part, portrayed his long-suffering love interest. The situation comedy was a moderate success with local audiences, but critics were less impressed. Radio reviewer John Crosby pulled no punches. The scripts, I'm told, are written by masters. I suggest not at all unkindly that he get a little assistance in that department and recast his show from the bottom up. Fortunately for the Masters, Candy Matson was a hit with critics and listeners alike. Monty set the series in San Francisco and made frequent references to Bay Area landmarks. His scripts featured snappy dialogue and larger-than-life characters, including Candy's eccentric photographer pal Rembrandt Watson and her police detective love interest, Lieutenant Ray Mallard. The supporting characters never eclipsed Candy, though. She was written and portrayed as a smart, tough detective who always solved the case. Despite its success with local listeners, Candy Matson never found a national sponsor. This may have been due to erratic scheduling on the part of NBC. The show is often preempted or aired a day earlier or later than scheduled, making it difficult for listeners to find, let alone potential sponsors. Another issue may have been the San Francisco setting. The local references that made the show so popular in the Bay Area likely made it less appealing to nationwide sponsors. Candy Matt's Yukon 28209 ended April 29, 1951, after 91 episodes. Sadly, only 14 of those episodes are known to be in circulation today. Although the show never gained a national audience, old-time radio fans today recognize it as a groundbreaking series that, in its own small way, helped to pave the way for the popularity of female heroes today. Now let's listen to The Cable Car Case from Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. First broadcast, July 7th. 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson. have a little unsolved murder in your home? Got some blackmail you want to unload? Are you the victim of some vulgar extortionist? I know a girl you should meet. She may not be the greatest private eye in the world, so what if it does cost you three or four hundred dollars? She sure is sweet. She's Candy Matson. Like to meet her? Hello. Candy Matson. Well, I wasn't sure when I looked in the mirror this morning. Had a rough night, eh? Oh, there have been rougher ones. Look, voice, before you get caught with my receiver down, who are you and what do you want? As to who I am, you'll find out very shortly. 
What I want is you. How romantic and over the phone yet. Let me finish. What I want is you to lay off that cable car business. Oh, that. Well, I'm afraid I can't. You see, I was sitting beside him when they discovered his transfer had been punched sort of permanently. That's how things happen with me. I get into the craziest routines. You see, I used to be a model. I've been told I have the proper displacement for such a career. But I found there wasn't enough money in it. A girl has to maintain a nice apartment on Telegraph Hill, keep enough clothes to highlight the uh, displacement I mentioned, and also eat, doesn't she? Sure. So I turn private eye. You meet a better class of people, mostly named Rigger or Mortis. Now take this cable car deal. It's positively fantastic. But after all, this is radio, isn't it? Like to hear how the whole thing happened? Leave us trip along to Act One. I wanted to get downtown that morning, but I couldn't take the F car on Stockton. They were ripping up about 87 streets, which is par for the course. So I walked down Telegraph Hill and up to Mason. That's where the Bay and Powell cable car stops. All aboard! Come on, Lana, show that shapely ankle. We gotta make the Fairmont by Whitsuntide. The car was loaded, and so was the character next to me. I tried to budge into the seat between him and a fisherman's wharf dowager, but I couldn't quite make it. I'd forgotten my shoehorn. Say, pardon me, but would you mind reading your Wall Street Journal over that away a bit? I'd like to sit in here. Oh, if you insist. A knight of old. He budged his hips a quarter of an inch, and I slipped in, ready for my rocket ride over the hill and down into town. The trip, as usual, was uneventful. Three smashed fenders and several choice words I'd never heard before, but I wrote them down. By the time our prairie schooner reached the turntable at Market Street, the crowd on the car had thinned out. But uh, Buster was still beside me, his head buried in common and preferred. Market Street! I started to get down. Hey, lady, take your boyfriend with you. We're heading back up the hill. Boyfriend? I'll sue. He looks like the advance man for Lewis and Clark. How do you like that? He fell asleep over his stocks and bonds. I looked again. Hipsy wasn't asleep. Hipsy was stone cold dead on market. What a twist. I, who always went on the prowl for a whodunit, got one literally tossed into my lap. He just hadn't gone out of this world serene-like. Oh, no. There was a steady slurp slurp of blood trickling down his vest just north by northeast of the equator. After a half-hour wait full of questioning by homicide leg men, I knew my morning shopping tour was rained out. And after all, I was only going to buy an emerald clip to match the glint in my eye. Well, that would have to wait. I knew the next step. I grabbed a cab home. I wasn't long in waiting. Right on cue. And if it was the right cue, it would be Lieutenant Ray Mallard from headquarters, daintily pressing his cuticles against my apartment buzzer. I was right. What? I've been expecting you. Come on in, Mellard. You've been expecting me. Why, Candy? Naive little rover boy, you. Have a drink? No, no, I'm not in the mood. Uh, just make it a double. Sit down, Mellard. Let's be civilized. Take off your hat. It is off. Oh? <laughs> Candy, for once I'm puzzled. You're just saying that. Yeah, because it's true. I've checked and rechecked. No matter how many loose ends I tie together, I still get no connection between you and Dwight Ellsworth. Dwight Whosworth? Ellsworth, your extremely limp traveling companion on the cable this morning. Mallard, I can give you an angle on that. Yeah? Yeah. The angle being that I didn't know him from Adam. Level? Straight. Oh, look, honeypot, this mediocre dialogue is getting us nowhere. What did you haul your size 11s in here for? Oh, frankly, I don't know. Uh, here, fill it up, will you? Well, you're not just going around in circles, Mallard. You're going around in doubles. Yeah, yeah. Like I've said before, Candy, you've got a pretty view from here. Oh? Wait till I turn around. I mean from your window. Look at that ship down there, just docking. Hmm? Where? Down there. There's oh. romance for you. Probably just in from the far east. Here's your drink. Oh, thanks. 
You know, it is sort of romantic. Don't you think it'd be fun to jump on a tramp like that and whisk off to the South Seas? Hmm? On a honeymoon? No. That's what I thought. South Seas. Mallard. Don't call me Mallard. Why not? We're just playing for ducks, aren't we? Oh, very crisp. Playing for ducks. No, Candy, we aren't. Not in this case. We've got a dead man in our hands, Rudy Toot Toot, shot right through the heart. And you were sitting next to him. Sure, sure. Go on, now get out of here. What? You heard me. Lift your hindquarters and get back to headquarters. Candy, I don't like that look. You've got something on your mind. Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't recognize it if I told you about it. Uh, one word of warning. Don't dabble. You're in deep enough. Got it? Got it. Here's your hat. Grab it. So long, Mallard. See you around a jailhouse sometime. <laughs> Bye, foo, fum. Twas then I smelled a big fat fee. That great, big, kind of attractive mallard. He missed the boat. Oh, he saw it, but he missed it. It was that ship he saw docking. That was the first time I came out of the dark since my Toonerville ride down the hill in the morning. I needed help, so I called an old friend of mine, if you can call that help. Rembrandt Watson was his name. He was a photographer and other things. He spent most of his life in the dark room dabbling with bottles. His negatives and prints were sharp. His thought processes, not quite. But he'd given me assistance in the past, so I called him. Rembrandt Watson speaking. Photography, portraits, and camera work. Yes, Rembrandt, I know. Also available for gardening, janitorial service, and babysitting. Rembrandt, it's candy. Especially at the over 21. Who? Candy? Now you're tuned in. How dare you, baggage. I was experimenting with a new type of formula. Ninety proof for a hundred. A hundred. And candy, it works beautifully. There's a delightful little pixie in a pink ballet skirt in my living room. Well, leave her there and get over here immediately to my place. Take a cab. I'll pay for I'd it. I'd much rather have a handsome carriage with a brace of chestnuts. You've got them in your head. Now just do as I say and get over here. <laughs> Float in, Rembrandt. Gad Fritz. Where's the man to take me cloak, gloves, and topper? You're wearing a sport coat and slacks, and you know I have no man. And therein lies your basic trouble, my dear. You have no man. Now, Rembrandt. Every man should have a woman. Every woman should have a man. It's the incontrovertible law of the universe. Candy, you should have a man. You? Sure. I'm no longer a man. I'm Sprite, transcending the world Well, and... stop transcending a moment and come down to Earth. We've got a job to do. How poetic. How idyllic. We've got a job to do. Uh, for money? Eventually. Oh, one of those. Very well, my dear. Bring me up to date. Well, I... I don't really know if I can or not. Good. And I shall leave and return to me formula. Oh, no. What I mean is the whole story is so fantastic you'd never believe it. I might. Try me, Candy. Well, I get on a cable car and sit next to a character reading the Wall Street Journal. A strange coupling. A cable car and the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And when we get to the end of the line, my friend next to me is dead. Probably the ride down the hill frightened him to death. Uh-uh. He looked like a used punch board. He had a neat little bullet hole through his heart. Candy, my little ballerina friend in the pink skirt is more believable than what you just told me. I told you it was fantastic, but none of how it happened. Now, sooner or later, Mallard is going to come out of his fog. And when he does, I'm going to be out of a fee. A fee that so far doesn't exist, my pretty. It will, if my hunch is right. Now, here's what I want you to do. Go down to the Chronicle and get all the back files you can on Southern Island Steamship Company. The Chronicle? A pleasure. I have a few questionable companions there who indulge in formulas. Stay away from those companions and just do as I ask. Very well, my dove. I go, but entirely against my will. And where will you be? Around town, Rembrandt. I've got to do some legwork. Let me assure you, Candy. You have just the right equipment for it, too. <laughs> What a joint. I'll bet they mount slit gullets on the walls instead of deer heads. Well, come on, Candy. Get your tools out and screw up your courage. Yeah, miss, what'll it be? Uh, 
nothing right at the moment except information. Information, water, both free. What do you want to know? Well, I'm, I'm looking for the purser off the Dwight Sonia. I hear he does his shore duty in here. Uh, that's right. Name Campbell. That head on the table over there belongs to him. Mm, thanks. <laughs> Hello, sailor. Hey, Campbell. Wake up. Uh, oh, leave me alone. Come on, snap out of it. Uh, who are you? Who do you want? My name is Candy Matson. I want to ask a question. Oh, I'm only drinking. Go away. Not until I find out what I want to know. Dwight Ellsworth was murdered this morning. What? I thought that would bring you to. Uh, well, that's the nicest news I've heard since VJ Day. What do you want to know? Where did his brother live? That stooge. He's got about as much spine as a water eel. Never mind. I want to find him. He seems to keep his whereabouts as secret as an atomic stockpile. Uh, the whole family ought to be knocked off. Uh, he lives out in Seacliff, 25 Dashell Road. Good. A bartender, buy my friend a little reward. And one for yourself, too. Well, so far, so good. Oh, how did I know about Campbell, the purser? Well, you see, I have quite a few friends, most of whom my pal Mallard doesn't approve. So I grabbed the cab and navigated the driver out towards Seacliff. It was so foggy I couldn't see the meter. But I paid him anyway, gave him a neutral tip and dismissed him. There it was, 25 Dashell Road. An austere-looking cabana, one that dared you to ring the front doorbell. I dared. I had the awful feeling I should have been around at the side door delivering hand laundry. Good evening. Well, except for the fog, yes. Uh, is Mr. Ellsworth in? Yes, he is. But I'm afraid I must ask you to leave. There has been a death in the family. I know. That's why I'm here. Come in, please. Thank you. Walk this way, please. Oh, I'm afraid I, I couldn't. Even if I live to be a hundred. Mind your tongue, young lady. You're in the house of an Ellsworth. Oh, hoity-toity. The old babe had delusions of grandeur. Well, no need to get uppity with me. I've mingled with royalty. I once played a bit part in a Rita Hayworth picture. But this old gal was really something. She couldn't have been more than 45, yet looked like something out of the barracks of Wimpole Street. She ushered me into a large-ceilinged living room, and there on the divan was my boy his head lowered into his hands and quite obviously touched. Quite obviously. Roger, this young lady is here to see you. I don't believe you mentioned your name. Uh, Candy Matson. Matson? Are you in shipping, too? Mm, of a sort. Oh, uh, this is my wife, Miss Matson. You'll pardon me if I don't seem hospitable, but my brother was murdered this morning. I know. I was sitting next to him when it happened. You were? Don't talk to her, Roger. I don't trust her. This whole thing is a threat of some kind. No, it's not a threat. It's a business proposition. I'll come right to the point. You see, I'm a private detective. Oh, one of those persons. Put your nose back down, Mrs. Ellsworth. I want to get this show on the road. Yes, I'm a private detective. And I'm in a spot, too. The police think I'm connected with the case in some way, so... I'm here for a double purpose. I'm listening, Miss Matson. Roger, I forbid you to speak with this this woman. Too late, Mrs. Ellsworth. Now, this is it. I'm in this business to make money. Give me a check now for $300, and I'll find out who killed your brother. And I'll also clear myself. Roger, I'm warning you. Naturally, you want to see the killer of your brother brought to justice, don't you, Mr. Ellsworth? Don't you? I... Yes, yes. Here, I'll make a check out right now. Thank you. Just make it out to Candy Matson. Payable today. The lovely collection of guns you have, Mr. Ellsworth. You hunt much? Mm, oh, yes, yes. My wife and I are quite fond of shooting. Uh, she's an excellent shot. Ah, there you are. Thank you. I'll be in touch with you sometime tomorrow. Mr. Reed didn't say a word. She just stood there against the fireplace and shot sparks through me. After I waved the check in the air a few times to dry the ink, she showed me to the door. Very clever, aren't you? Taking advantage of a weak-willed man. I wonder who made him that way. Don't cash that check. I mean it. Don't cash that check. Mrs. Ellsworth, $300. I need the money. Badly. 
I need some new rolls for my player piano. I buzzed back downtown. I wanted to cash that check in a hurry. I knew of only one person who would give me the crisp green at that hour of the night. Uncle Charlie, the honest miller who ran the chase room. Uncle Charlie, in the strict sense of the word, was a gentleman. So with a tender little pat on my cheek, he cashed the check and I went up Telegraph Hill and home. All of a sudden, my eyes did a couple of inverted loops. All my lights were on. Who's in here? All right, speak up. Oh, Candy, the light of my oh. life. Come join our party. Oh, Rembrandt, you gave me a scare. You don't scare easy what? either, Candy. Got something on your mind? And Mallard. Well, how ducky, a midnight soiree. What goes on here? Well, that chicken you had in the icebox is delicious. Was delicious. Looks like you've done everything but eat the bones. Your vintage is superb, too, Candy. Have a little formula? No. Now, now come on, what gives? That's my line, Candy. What gives? You're in on something, and I want to know about it. Oh, Mallard, believe me, it, it's nothing. I, I'm, I'm just trying to parley a couple of hunches. Tall hunches. Look at all those clippings on the South Sea Island Steamship Company. What are they for? I meant to tell you, Candy, I had remarkable success down at the Chronicle. There's everything you want on that steamship line now. Rembrandt, did you have to tell the whole world? Candy, you chide me unnecessarily. I merely had the clippings on the table when Hawkshaw here walks in on me. Okay, Candy, take it from there. I can't tell you yet, Mallard. Nothing makes sense yet. I, I've got about four loose ends that need tying off. I'd only put two men to following you. I'd save myself a lot of grief. Two days, that's all, Mallard. Just give me two days. I think I'll have it for you. All right. But don't forget, the boys down at Kearney Street headquarters don't love you the way I do. Two days. No more or less. I gotta go. Thanks for the foul, chicken. Ah, very gay. Here, Rembrandt, here's $50 for you. Fifty? My word. What's all this talk about a recession? Go on and take it. Go someplace and stabilize the economy. I whipped through the old newspaper clipping. It was all there. Fire at sea on Ellsworth's ship. Two seamen lost off Ellsworth's ship near Honolulu. South Sea Island line ship loses rudder in storm. On and on it went over a period of three years. I threw the papers back on the table. Helped myself to some of Rembrandt's formula. Turned down the lights and went out on the porch. The bay was dark except for an occasional path of light from a passing freighter. I sat down to think and think. Then, click, click, just like that, two little tumblers in my mind fell into place. Only one thing to do, and that was to do it the hard way. The next morning, just as the ferry building siren was announcing 8 o'clock to downtown San Francisco, I got Rembrandt on the phone. Candy, what on earth are you calling me for at this hour? Can't help it. There's work to be done. I did my work last night so extremely well that I'm just going to bed now. Sorry, you'll just have to delay your sack time. Meet me at the corner of Mason and Union in ten minutes, right where the cable car stops. Now, what are we going to do? We're going to take a cable car ride. What? One of those bouncing, jerky little contraptions? Not the way I feel this morning. Oh, yes, you are. Union and Mason in ten minutes. All right, Rembrandt, get on. This is the silliest thing you've ever done, Candy. Maybe. We'll see. Dwight Ellsworth was already on the car when I got on here. And alive. How could you tell? He mumbled something when I asked him to move over. Sounds logical. Although I once remember stumbling into a corpse who mumbled for hours after he'd been liquidated. Mm, Rembrandt was in one of his rambling moods, so I let him alone. The car pulled over Mason Street, down Washington, and then swung on to Powell and up the hill. Now I watched the buildings and apartments carefully. There was a little red brick building, now a big apartment house. A woman's residence club and so on. Then over the hill, more apartments and the possibilities petered out at Bush. Well, only one thing to do. Canvas all those blocks between Washington and Bush. Okay, Rembrandt, off the car. The strangest corpse I ever did see. Uh, what do you say, Candy? Off the car, come on. Now what? I just want to get to bed. Well, not for a long time, Boy Blue. Now here's the pitch. You take this building and I'll take the next. We'll alternate as we go along. Ask if a tall woman with a horsey face and dressed something like Queen Victoria ever lived around here. 
Oh, candy. I know it sounds wild, but it's got to be done. A horse with a tall face and dress something like... Oh, Rembrandt, look at me. Get that smoke out of your brain. A tall woman with a horsey face and dress something like Queen Victoria. You got it? Got it. Okay, get going. It was slow and tiresome. And the answers I got. A tall gal dressed like Queen Victoria. Oh, sister. That was about par. Nope. Nobody like that ever lived here. Are you positive? A dame who fits that description? Yeah, I'm positive. The morning wore on and so did we. We were over on the other side of California Street now, so we stopped and had a bite to eat. I had pickles with mine and Rembrandt had olives on toothpicks in a glass. And again, we picked up the hunt. My heart was suddenly making with a rumba. There, just on the other side of Clay, in front of a three-story red brick house, was a police squad car. There was a little knot of people gathered around. Daintily lifting my crinoline, I did a Mel Patton down the block and up the front steps. I didn't have any trouble finding the room. The door was wide open, and there was a body on the floor. Four representatives of the law were buzzing back and forth. One of the buzzees was Mallard. Well... My little ambassador of violence. Why is it you're always around the extremely dead, Candy? I've got no time to brandy the ad libs, Mallard. Who is it? I don't know yet. No identification. Let me see. <gasps> huh. A pen pal, maybe. I was right. I knew it. Knew it? Knew what? You're right. He was a pen pal. He wrote me a check last night for $300. His name is Roger Ellsworth. <laughs> Very interesting. Must be open season on Ellsworth's. Okay, Candy, time you filled in in the blanks. Start. Wait a minute. I want to look at the window over here. Mm-hmm. Mallard, there are a couple of younger Ellsworths living around town here. I'm sure you'd like to see them stay healthy. Yeah? Get out to 25 Dashell Road and pick up an old crone also named Ellsworth. Five will get you 20. She's the one you're after. Uh, all right. But you get back to your place and stay put, understand? I want to have a more illuminating chat with you. Oh, Mallard, I'm, I'm just like putty in your hands. The moon was coming up over Diablo and spraying a path of silver on the bay. Still no Mallard. I wondered what could be wrong. Well, this was it. This was the showdown. Have you seen a tall face with a horsey woman? Oh, Rembrandt. Candy, I'm so mad at you, I could... Oh, what's the use? Now what's the matter? What's the matter, she says. I've been roving all over Powell Street, ringing doorbells. Where did you go, you traitor? Oh, Rembrandt, I'm sorry. And in the excitement, I forgot all about you. What excitement? There's been another murder. In a moment, there's going to be another... I'm looking right at you, Candy. Oh, cool off. Have some formula and stop snorting steam. <gasps> what was that? Your window, Candy. It just shattered. What? Oh, wait a minute. That window didn't shatter by itself. Quick, get the lights, Rembrandt. Now duck down here. What sort of a silly game are we playing now? This isn't a game, believe me. Candy! Candy, are you all right? Yikes, it's the gumshoe. Yes, I'm all right. Where are you, Mallard? Over here. Two houses over. We've got your girlfriend trapped on the roof next to you. Don't move and stay covered. Okay. All right, Mrs. Ellsworth. Are you coming down peacefully, or do we have to play cops and robbers? I'm not coming down until I get that candy match. She did it. She forced me to kill my own brother-in-law. Have it your own way. Okay, loosen her up a bit, boys. Better than the 4th of July. Keep your head down, Rembrandt. Oh, is that what was up? Ready to come down, Mrs. Ellsworth? No, I'm not. That hateful woman! She's ruined my whole life! All my plans! Just because of her snooping and prying! She's going to die, I tell you! It was a miracle, Candy. You must have moved slightly just as she shot at you. Oh, well, it was too close, I can tell you. She's dead? Oh, decidedly. I think she was dead before she hit the ground. That one shot got her. 
We went out to her house, and she was just driving off when we got there. We trailed her up to North Beach, lost her for a block, and then spotted her car at the top of the hill here. We arrived just as she was getting on the roof next door. Okay, now you tell me your little dream. Well, it was that ship docking that set my wheels going around. The name Ellsworth started burning in back somewhere. You saw the clippings we dug up. Yeah. The South Sea Island steamship lines were slowly being sabotaged. I did some checking, and I, I found that the insurance companies weren't going to renew. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't tie that in sooner. Oh, it's just that you have too many things on your mind, Mallard, dear. <laughs> I went out to the place on Dashiell Road, and when I left, I was pretty sure the old girl had knocked off her brother-in-law. Why? Well, for several reasons. One, she was a venomous old witch. Two, you've never seen such a collection of guns in all your life. And her husband admitted she was a darn good shot. I also saw one little pot gun that was very interesting. It had a silencer on it. Uh-huh. That was the one she used on you tonight. And also the one she used on Dwight Ellsworth from the window of that apartment where you found her husband. How do you know? Go back there. You'll see a nice little bullet hole in the curtain with burned powder all around it. Now, don't tell me that... Yes, th I'm telling you that she rented that place knowing that her brother-in-law always went downtown on a certain cable car. She waited that morning until we were riding by, and she plugged him. I have now heard everything. And the reason? Dwight Ellsworth, rather than fighting the insurance companies, had decided to sell his steamship line. But the old gal thought she'd beat him to the punch by knocking him off. The steamship company would then fall into her husband's hands. Yeah. What about her husband? Well, after he gave me the check and I left, they evidently had a fearful row and she spilled the beans. Somehow she lured him down to that place on Powell and gave him some lead poisoning, too. And that's all there is to it. Candy, I wish you'd have told me all these things earlier. We might have been able to save the life of Roger Ellsworth. No, it wouldn't do any good. Because if she hadn't killed him, I was going to. What? Mm-hmm. While I was waiting for you to get here, the phone rang. It was Uncle Charlie, the honest miller. That no good Roger Ellsworth. His check bounced like a brand new golf ball. <laughs> What's so funny, Mallard? Listen in again to the further adventures of Candy Matson, Girl Sucker. Well, that's the way it goes. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. In this case, nobody did. Except Rembrandt. He'd stocked his darkroom with $50 worth of formula. And not the kind you use on negatives, either. Let's see. Murder on a cable car. Dwight and Roger Ellsworth done in as well as the old gal. One check that bounced. It really does sound fantastic, doesn't it? But I told you this was radio, didn't I? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I did come out ahead at that. On the way out, Mallard leaned down and kissed me. The first time it ever happened. You know, at times, it, it's kind of fun to be in the arms of the law. Listen again next week at the same time. For excitement and adventure, just dial... Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Heard tonight were Helen Cleave, Jack K. Hill, and Harry Bechtel, Jack Thomas as Rembrandt, and Henry Leff as Mallard. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and produced by Monty Masters. This has been a presentation of NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was Candy Matson, Yukon 28209, and the Cable Car Chase, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that uh, is just because that's not a listener request or anything, is it? It's a just last we... minute replacement for uh, my wife's company. It's Candy Madsen. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny is because we were just discussing the possibility of performing this exact one mm -hmm. just a few days ago before recording. So it's nice for us to all not only sit around and listen to it and say, hey, should we do this one live mm -hmm. on stage? But it also fits the podcast and we love Candy Madsen. And I'm just going to say right now. Yes, we're doing this one on stage. <laughs> so this is sort of our table work. Yes. <laughs> I, I loved everything about this. There are qualms that I will get to, but wow, is the dialogue fantastic. And that's what this is about. If you're about to yes. apply logic no. to this script it's not, uh, to criticize it, I think it's not intended Don't to be. Don't worry. 
It's not going to be that big of a critique, but it's the dialogue, the writing, the pace of the wordplay, the stylized affectations. It's just brilliant. It's so freaking fun. It takes the hard-boiled genre and keeps all the flippancy, all the wit, and takes out the nihilism, the sort of dark (laughs) aspects of it, Mm -hmm. and leaves this really fun, hard-boiled shell. (laughs) It sounds like I'm saying it's shallow, uh, but it is in the best of ways. (laughs) It is. But it's just fun. It leaves in the grisly murder. It's just really cheery about it. Yeah. (laughs) The whole concept of Candy Matson is using what she has to her advantage, pretending to not be as good as she is or as bright as she is, using her good looks, flirting uh, mm-hmm. to get what she wants. Like and, Columbo. Like Columbo. <laughs> I was, it's in my notes. There's a lot of Columbo-esque things yeah. going on here. And I really enjoy that aspect of it, that there is so much upbeat, regardless of the fact that she's sitting next to a man with a bullet that just went through him from... Somewhere. Well, somewhere. We'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to you right now. Mm-hmm. I love Candy Mats and I had a lot of fun. The plot itself isn't great. It's a little heavy-handed. Heavy-handed? Uh, In what way? I live here. I have a lot of guns, and I'm a sharpshooter. Okay, well, we know who did it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a complicated thing to figure out. I'm sorry. So you guessed that it was the horse-faced woman right away <laughs> well, because in that there, scene. Yes, because okay. it was either that or, okay, that's a red herring, mm-hmm. or it's the solution. And when it ended up being the solution, I went, wow, there were no other red herrings. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a great mystery. It's not about it, though. It's not about the mystery. It's about the banter, and it's about the dialogue, and it's about the stylization. And let's be honest, it's about... I'll read this to you right now and get it out of the way. I love this line so much. Candy Matson was an extension of the woman who emerged during World War II radio, the strong woman who stepped out of the kitchen or the secretarial pool to do what was needed to be done. It was hard for many women to go back to that life when the war was over, and Candy represented that independent woman. That is what this is about. And Eric, you did research? Yes, I copied and pasted <laughs> wow. that. That's research. <laughs> Hello, college exam paper. Uh, that sentence, though, when I read that, I said, yes, that's what's most important about this is how she portrays a woman detective. But the, if you took that plot by itself, you go, yeah, it's not exciting. But here's the thing about the plot, though, is it provides great scenes. And that's what mm-hmm. a good hard-boiled mystery should be because it mm-hmm. is about the atmosphere and mm-hmm. the dialogue. And what that plot gives us mm-hmm. is my favorite thing about this entire episode is the bizarre shootout on a rooftop mm-hmm. <laughs> with this horse-faced 45-year-old <laughs> woman who's just screaming at the top of her yeah. lungs about her hatred of Candy Matson, well, and then mowed down by the police <laughs> and falls off the building. That is not the scene. I might have been able to predict some elements of the detective plot, but that is not the scene I thought we would end with. Right. I also enjoyed the question marks of it. She made me kill my brother-in-law. How? Right. How did she make... It you was... didn't know her when you killed your brother-in-law. <laughs> that, that's what I'm getting. There's some loose connections. And the big one, which it made me totally reevaluate how I enjoy mysteries, was this question of... How did she go get this purser guy? How did she know that this guy had a sh- was a shipping magnate? How did she know he had a brother? And I just assumed when I listened to it the first time that I must have missed it. Listened mm-hmm. to it a second time, like, nope. Mm-hmm. And then later she just explains, I know people. And it yes. made me really, really about it. It doesn't matter. Right. They could have given me a scene of where someone said, oh, he's a shipping magnate and he has a brother and there's a person. Uh, it's not important. Right. There is a connection because we have... I can't believe I'm defending this very thin plot, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) We have Mallard looking out the window when he first comes to visit Candy after the murder, and he mentions the boat in the harbor, which makes her remember something, and she remembered reading about an Ellsworth, who was a shipping magnet. Yes. She knows seedy people You're filling that in. No, No, I just re-listened to it in the car, because I totally was baffled by it as well, Tim. I (laughs) was on board, where I was like, how did she make those connections? Yes. And you're right, it's that mystery thing where we've had a lot of fun. I'm going to connect these dots as quickly as possible so I can just keep having fun. <laughs> yes. But it was so much fun that I it didn't become a critique as much as is it important? Do I want to know that? Does it matter? I will say that 
if it wasn't for performance and writing and dialogue, that that would bother me. But it saves itself because of everything else. The plot is background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. And you said it best. It gives you those scenes. That scene in the bar, when she goes and talks to the bartender, which that's the craziest bartender voice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I can't even do an impression of him. And he says, well, the guy with his head on the table over there. That's... Oh, yeah, yeah. The purser or whoever. Yes. Yeah, that was down on the waterfront, wasn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I thought it, she was it, in yeah. a bar. Yeah. Then she goes and talks to the drunk guy who's... I love that scene, and I love the actor's choices and, and the, the drunk guy who's like, the whole family deserves to die. Right. <laughs> so you're right. The scenes are great. There's a lot I love about this. We could sit here and list 70 lines from this show that made us laugh out loud and go, that's so great. It occasionally reaches the point of being surreal. Like right. the, the similes and metaphors <laughs> are flying so fast that a couple times I'm, I just don't even know what they're talking about, but they sure sound witty while they're saying it. I also like it because it's dirty. Oh, yeah. She's dirty. There's a lot of dirty. I like the view from here. Wait till I turn around. But that's sort of that hard-boiled thing is if you're not sure what the joke means, just say it like it's innuendo. And she does that a lot. That's like that line. And I know I'm going to take a lot of grief for this, but it's a famous line in movies. You know how to whistle, don't you? Just put your lips together and blow. There's a part of me that goes... That's just saying it like it's innuendo. There's really no innuendo. Do yeah, you know? she's literally describing whistling. Yeah, and, and it's we're supposed dirty. To... <laughs> but it's not. There's nothing yeah. to that line. Yeah, you know what they mean when they say whistle while you work. <laughs> no. In a similar vein of intellectually, I know this is wrong, but I can't help loving it, is the relentless San Francisco references. Oh. Just on ending. <laughs> and... I have been to San Francisco, but I'm not super familiar with every little reference, so Mm -hmm. that it it just references me as as sort of white noise reference, and if it was just once or twice, I'd probably be like, eh, but it's so constant that I love it. (laughs) Right. It's so fun. Um, Let's just start rattling off our favorites. Get off your hindquarters and get back to headquarters. (laughs) That's Groucho-esque. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, some of this is so dense in the Mm -hmm. wordplay that it is just delightful. People named Rigger or Mortis is a great one. Uh, there's the one where she's talking about hanging out with Rembrandt, where she's like, he was eating olives yes. on a stick. Thick, right. In I a had glass. Pickles. Right. <laughs> yep. It looked like an advanced man for Lewis and Clark. Uh, oh, the fourth wall breaking also. Oh, yeah. Oh. This is radio, isn't it? And who wrote this? Enough of this mediocre dialogue. Yes, right, right. right. <laughs> no, this mediocre dialogue is getting us nowhere. That yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah, there's a, like my husband wrote this. <laughs> there's a line that's not horribly funny, but it was all in delivery when she says Dwight Hooseth. <laughs> it was all about her delivery of that. Have either of you heard more of these, mm-hmm. like a sizable percentage? Is there a sort of arc to her and Mallard's relationship? Because it was interesting to mm-hmm. note, like, this is the first time that he kissed her. There is. This is the second episode of the series. Uh. So this is early on, and there is a little bit of an arc. I don't think it's an arc by... It's like Buffy. Yeah. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like Buffy, but with more hard-boiled innuendo. <laughs> It's dirty. We know about that vampire but there are slayer. Fewer vampires in Buffy than oh. in. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'll be over here when you're done talking about that show. Uh, oh, Rembrandt is so hilarious. And actually, yeah. if you're talking about an arc, uh, Rembrandt is far more masculine in these. <laughs> <laughs> I recall that from the other Kmats, especially when he had the line of "Every man needs a woman, every woman needs a man." But then when she says. <laughs> You? He laughs and says, I'm no longer a man. I'm a sprite transcending the world. (laughs) In the later episodes, you know, Liberace gave him a ring and said, calm it down. (laughs) There's another... Awesome, though. He's also the old trope that I love that has gone away because people Mm. are too sensitive. (laughs) The lovable drunk. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You're killing yourself with drink. (laughs) It's hilarious. There's a lot of hangovers in this show. Oh, yeah. Starts with a hangover. Oh, there was a really odd moment when they were interviewing people on the street to see if they'd seen a tall woman, horsey (laughs) face like Queen Victoria. Uh, The woman goes, oh, sister. (laughs) Like, I can't even do an impression of it. It was such a weird reaction. That made me think that everyone in San Francisco at this time just shouted everything they said. (laughs) 
<laughs> They're shouting over the trolley. Yeah. It's so loud. Well, Which, by the way, that folly, that uh, trolley foley. Yeah. Was phenomenal. Yeah. I, well, it was. However, if that was what it was like to ride a trolley, I couldn't do it because I would be 10 minutes and I'd be like, if you ring that bell <laughs> one more time, what, why is it constant? Ding, 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 ding. Oh. It evoked a sense of place, though, very successfully. It did. It did. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah? <laughs> I want to know what the point of that is. Like, so they don't people, hit anybody. Because people were constantly dodging trolleys. Yeah, that's what I or, like to assume. Is I mean, if it were just me, it's just because I've got a bell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And Joshua brought it up. What's her name? And the shootout on the roof. I will go out on a limb and say that is the greatest death scene in the history of old time radio. <laughs> yeah, because the guys are like, let's loosen her up. Or what did the cops say before they just <laughs> start throwing bullets at but her? But then she, the screaming and the oh, death yeah. yell. And I mean, and, she and was the, so intense. The plummet, the long screen off the building. Yep. <laughs> it they was had enough a lot. taste to not do it. <laughs> hitting the ground. <laughs> Unlike the man who hated scenes. Did, did we hear the plop we in the, did, no, in it was the just, pool? It, the crack. It forced us to imagine it. Okay. And it feels like we heard it. Yeah. I always think that we heard a thunk in that Ow! pool. Oh, I broke my leg. Ow! <laughs> For those who don't know what we're talking about, go see episode The Man Who Hated Scenes from this podcast. There, now you're all caught up. <laughs> Because they paused it, they listened, and now they came back. I assume so. And they're like, you're so right, Eric. (laughs) What other thoughts, boys? One thing that struck me when I first listened to it was that the phone call at the beginning felt like it was a part of the narrative, and I was waiting to find out who was going to threaten her off. And then I listened to it again and realized, no, this is just a fourth wall down teaser of the episode where she is talking to everybody, the listeners and the guy on the phone, and it doesn't really matter. And that's a really (laughs) avant-garde idea for the time. It bugged me. Uh, well, of I course did write. Did. I, I, well, I wrote down like we never found out who the guy on the phone was, and so I didn't quite follow what was going on with that. So it's it, just it's a, basically like a, like a teaser that usually annoys me because it's a scene from the episode right. you're about to hear. But it tells you that a murder happened on a trolley, but that's all we know. And whoever it was was deliberately timing their words to "I want you." How romantic. I want you to give up this case. Right. Sorry, I'm eating a sandwich. <laughs> there was nobody threatening her to get off that case. So what was... Maybe I, she's remembering some other cable car case. Right. But Candy Matson, if I'm recalling correctly, talks to the audience at the beginning yeah. of episodes. And yeah. so that was sort of the equivalent of it. And I think it's early on in the series, so they're experimenting. And I agree with you, it was confusing at first, but when I went right. back and listened to it, I went, ah, that's kind of cool. All right. Uh, and the, the last line is so mean from Mallard when he goes, <laughs>, laughs at her for her check being bounced and says, yeah. Candy Matt's a girl sucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she doesn't mind because he kissed her apparently right after that. <laughs> I love that guy just wrote her a check. I'm a private detective. You are, huh? I'll find the murder for you 300 bucks. Okay. <laughs> that was easy. Oh, well, well, he knows he doesn't have the money. Sure, I want you a check. And it's fun when you go back and li- re-listen to it. Mrs. Ellsworth says, "Do not cash that check." <laughs> right. And you're like, "Going, wow, she just does not want to lose three hundred bucks." But really, she was just saying, "We are broke. <laughs> right? <laughs> Do not cash that check. <laughs> we will get a fine. <laughs> a fine." <laughs> That's a $30 bounce check charge. <laughs> I'm going to have to kill another Ellsworth. <laughs> He's a great but shot. How yeah, cool. well, i got to really point out and admire, like, shooting someone from across the street through a window on a moving... <laughs> like, that's a really good shot. <laughs> through a silencer. Yeah. yeah. Shot him in the front, if I understand. Yeah. So we had to shoot through the car, like, between some people, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, there's some thin plot points. That's what I was getting at, and they're forgivable. I think trolleys move very slowly. Uh, depends on how hard you ring the bell. Which side of the hill they're on. Yeah. <laughs> there's that. But one thing I want to acknowledge it for, which I don't think I've ever heard another old-time radio show, where you have a female protagonist and a crazy lunatic 
female antagonist, and mm-hmm. that, that was kind of fun. I mean, yeah. outside the one episode, I believe it was the Whistler that we listened to about the two women. Oh who yeah, hated yeah, each other, I locked in the cabin together. But yes, uh, I think that's two <laughs> <laughs> right in all the old time radio shows I've listened to, and that, that was pretty awesome. Should we vote on it? Yeah. Yes, Tim. I don't know. I'd say it's a classic, um, but it's so enjoyable. It's so good. It certainly stands the test of time. I'd recommend it to anybody. For me, it's a classic. It's certainly my favorite episode of Candy Matson I've heard. I have not heard all 14 episodes. I've heard maybe seven or eight, mm-hmm. and it's hands down my favorite. Definitely stands the test of time. It is so funny. It is very postmodern, and it's loose relationship with the fourth wall uh, and I love it to death I think this could really convert somebody to old time radio a modern listener I will say Rudy Toot Toot it shot me through the heart <laughs> Rudy Toot Toot uh, cops in San Francisco are really casual <laughs> oh and he was drinking a lot too and that- yeah, they're all like, drinking a lot. Pour me more drinks while I try to figure out why I can't solve this case. <laughs> I will say that it definitely stands the test of time, and it is also of historical significance for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's got a huge amount of that. Um, it's a lot of fun. I would recommend it for someone to listen to. I think there's nothing but fun in it. Is it a classic? Uh, no. No matter what genre you stick it into, nope. It's not because it's up against too much competition. But it is a classic in the sense of if you like witty dialogue, it's it's phenomenal. I think it's hard to put it in the classic category. And yeah. in some ways, I think that makes it a classic because there's nothing else there, like it. You know what? The You're reason, absolutely right. The reason right. you say that doesn't really stand up to suspense because it's just, it's just or, it has no desire to do anything that suspense or, is doing. Or other private detective <laughs> yeah, or noir. Own thing. It really is. You know what? It is a classic of whatever this genre is. <laughs> it's a classic of Candy Matson, yep. which is all on her own, right? I don't know of another show quite like this. The only thing that comes close to the genre would be Broadway is My Beat. With the, Broadway the, is My Beat is very serious, at least mm-hmm. in the narration. It oh, yeah. Is but deadly serious. But if you're talking about this is all about dialogue. Yeah. It's a competition. It's definitely in the hard-boiled tradition, but it it has its own spin and flavor on it that just makes it delightful. It is delightful. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. There are other episodes there. You can leave comments on episodes. There's links to social media. Uh, You can contact us. All kinds of different ways to have your opinion made known. And if you'd like an episode you want us to listen to, let us know. We'll add it to the list. You can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast. We really appreciate it. We have all different levels of support options and different rewards. We have a new members-only podcast that has either just come out or is just about to come out and is Cliffhangers of Doom. And uh, our first cliffhanger we are discussing is City of the Dead. So if that sounds terribly exciting to you, uh, become a Patreon member. And if you'd like to see us perform live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society division that does theatrical performances that are recreations of old-time radio and original works in the style of uh, old-time Golden Age radio, uh, you can see us at Park Square Theater in St. Paul. This is uh, the winter-spring of 2020. I just always got to put that in there because the (laughs) Internet's forever. But, yeah, we're going to be there a while, so uh, come see us. (laughs) We're trapped. Come rescue us. <laughs> What's coming up next? Next, we have a listener request, and we are listening to The Flaming Skull from The Shadow. Until then... Look out! Oh, sister! 